Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 188. I am Lisa Louise Cook. I'm so glad you're here. And welcome to so many new listeners that we have from around the world, really. It's been a whirlwind first six weeks of 2016. And we've been reaching people literally around the world. Recently, I was at RootsTech, just got back about a week ago. And not only did I have an opportunity to have one of my RootsTech sessions live streamed, and I know lots of you uh, all over watched that, but we also did some live streaming right from the Genealogy Gems booth in the huge expo hall at RootsTech. And we did that with an app called Periscope. We'll talk more about RootsTech in this episode because certainly a lot went on. But I do know that we had people tuning in through our live streaming um, from Wales and the Ukraine and Germany and France and around the world. In addition to, of course, um, so many of you who are in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and of course here in the US. So that, that was just a a fantastic opportunity. And I hope that you are getting the Genealogy Gems newsletter. That's where you would have heard about that. Um, it was actually kind of a last minute idea. And I thought, darn it, I'm going to try and do this Periscope thing and see if we can make it happen. And it really worked. It was awesome. So if you haven't seen the recent Genealogy Gems newsletters, you better go dig those out of your email box. Not only did we announce that it was coming up, but then following Roots Tech, I've also been publishing copies of the videos and the handouts from those sessions that we did in the booth. So it's really the best way to keep up to date. I want to um, address something. I had a question from one of you, which means I know other people have this question, is where is the newsletter going? I, I subscribe to it on your website, which of course is genealogygems.com. And it comes out every Thursday, really early Thursday morning, and I'm not seeing it. Well, oftentimes I get that question. I look at who's sending it to me, and it's somebody who uses Gmail. I use Gmail. I like it a lot. But they did institute something kind of new in the last year, which is these tabs, right? Have you noticed this in your inbox? Gmail is trying to help you kind of sort the types of emails that you, that you get into categories. So you'll also see um, perhaps you have a promotions tab or a social tab, which might be emails you're receiving from Facebook or Twitter or that kind of thing. You can rename these tabs yourself, or you can even um, elect not to have certain tabs. But typically, an email like a newsletter that is generated automatically through a system, we have to have a large online system to get out to all of you who have signed up for the newsletter. That for some reason, triggers Gmail to go, oh, this isn't coming from an individual person. This is an automated thing. We're going to throw it into the promotions file. And so if you're not seeing our newsletter in your inbox, look across the top on the tabs and try the promotions tab. Look there. And if you do see our emails and you'd like to get those in your inbox, in your main inbox, so that you don't have to go hunting for them, all you have to do is click on one of them and drag and drop it on top of your primary tab. That's your inbox tab, the primary. And hopefully, it might even ask you, do you want this to be a permanent situation where this type of email, you know, from Genealogy Gems goes into your primary tab? Yeah, awesome. So you say, great. Also, if you don't by chance see our newsletter in one of those other tabs, go check the spam folder. And of course, in Gmail, it's called spam. In some services, it's called junk. You know that it comes out on Thursdays. So click on there and go look through, um, hunt down for a, the most recent Thursdays and see if you can't see our um, newsletter there. If it is in your spam or junk folder, you can click and identify it as non-spam. You can also move it to your inbox, which in a sense, you're giving it permission to accept that email from that person, which is us, in your inbox. 
the last thing that you can do to help make sure that you're getting all of our updates is to go and create a contact for us. So if you go to your contacts in your email system and set up genealogy gems podcast at gmail.com, you know that our newsletter will also be seen as coming from a legitimate contact, somebody that you wanted it to come from. Because I don't want you to miss anything. And we are going to be publishing more of the videos and the handouts just for all of you genealogy gems out there so that you can follow along even if you weren't at Roots Tech. But we'll talk more about Roots Tech in just a little bit. Um, I've got, of course, some great news items for you. We've got some mailbox stuff, um, all kinds of things to cover. And of course, we'll talk DNA as well. So let's jump right in. Now, um, so Roots Tech, you know, in February of each year tends to be a big time that the genealogy companies want to make a lot of noise and get a lot of attention. So it's a perfect time to launch new products, announce new partnerships and there was an awful lot of that this year. Find My Past has created some new partnerships, in fact, quite a few. During Roots Tech, they announced new partnerships with Roots Magic, Legacy Family Tree, which is also a software, uh, genealogy software database, FamilySearch.org, Family Historian, Puzilla, Billion Graves, and Roots City. And in their press release, it says that Find My Past will make its vast record collection of more than 8 billion records available to customers via these partners. The rollout of these partnerships will begin in 2016, with exact dates to be detailed later. Customers using these various family history products will benefit from having Find My Past's record collection embedded within the actual product in ways that each partner determines will benefit their customers the most. So this really reflects uh, the larger trend that I've been seeing in the genealogy marketplace for the last couple of years. It's taking advantage of, you know, open APIs and the, in the cloud and that type of thing to integrate systems together. And the bottom line is I see that integrating your experiences together. And so it's not necessarily that, you know, if Roots Magic and Find My Past get together and have a partnership, that you're going to have all the Find My Past stuff for free through Roots Magic. But what it is probably going to turn out to be, and this is my guessing, that um, rather than having to jump in and out of programs that you like to use, you're going to have portals, you're going to have ways to access. And then when you find data through, of course, you'd still have your subscription or whatever it is that you'd pay through a site like Find My Past, you'd be able to bring that data back in to Roots Magic. So you see the, the kind of the partnering together there. So we'll just keep an eye on it and let you know as we learn more about the ways in which these different companies are, are going to integrate Find My Past. Oh, let's see. And here's a news item. More on the Family Tree Maker roller coaster. I've been hearing from lots of you guys on this. This, of course, is speaking of partnerships and integration. So here's the update on the discontinuation of Ancestry.com's popular Family Tree Maker software. That announcement created quite a stir, you know, that they were going to be discontinuing it. More than I think Ancestry expected, or I don't know, maybe they did. It, it seemed like they didn't, but <laughs> uh, they might have. Well, on February 2nd of 2016, Ancestry.com announced that they have made an agreement with Roots Magic. And that means that they're saying that by the end of 2016, you'll be able to continue to sync your online tree with your master tree at home when you use the Roots Magic software. And that's on your own software, uh, where Ancestry says that you also have access to your Ancestry hints and searches. So I'm really glad to see the family tree that you build on Ancestry, if you have one on there, that you'll be able to synchronize it and have it more integrate with Roots Magic. There's that integration again, right? That's really key because we've talked about it here before. I'm, I'm a firm believer in having your entire master database, the one that you turn to as kind of the, the end all on where you stand on your research. That you know, really, I think is best held on your own computer with your own software like Roots Magic. But many of us do upload all or parts of our tree onto Ancestry in order to do some, a little bit of fishing, a little bit of fishing for hints, fishing for cousins, right? And being able to integrate between the two means we don't have to do quite so much duplication of effort. And that's a really good thing. So um, now, what's interesting is, we, we all thought Family Tree Maker was, of course, going away. And 
at least the ancestry has now taken the step to work together with a, a program like Roots Magic so that you can have your online tree and your tree on your computer. Good. But on the same day, Ancestry also announced the acquisition of Family Tree Maker software, both for Mac and for Windows, by a company called Software Mac Kiev. It's M A C K I E V. Now, according to Ancestry, quote, this new agreement means that you will receive software updates and new versions from Software Mac Kiev and have the ability to purchase new versions of Family Tree Maker from Software Mac Kiev as they are released. Unquote. It's really interesting. Now, I'm not, again, this is just my personal opinion, right? But they were at Roots Tech and they had a nice booth and they had reps and the whole thing. So I got to tell you, as somebody who ex- has an exhibit booth at Roots Tech, it takes a long time <laughs> to get that organized. And so it's just really interesting to me that this is such a recent announcement and yet they were already in place and ready to go at Roots Tech. So I just wish if it had been in the works longer than it appears that it was in the works that we had heard about it. That would have been nice because I think it was really hard on everybody to kind of go through that panic mode of what in the world's going to happen. Now, um, I know that those guys at the new software company were saying that, you know, it's going to take a while. You're not going to see instantaneous changes probably with Family Tree Maker. But at least, you know, if you'd like to stick with it and you want to have it, that you'll be able to know that it's going to be supported by this new company. We certainly hope that they do well with it so that they can stay around for a long time and support it because that's really the key, isn't it? Um, And of course, they will still have integration with the Ancestry website as well. So at least now, you know, if nothing else, this was kind of good for the industry to create a little more competition or a little bit more of a need for them to, to spread out a little bit and play a little more in the sandbox with the other vendors like Roots Magic, because that's good for customers. It means you have choices. And I think that's always a very positive thing. So I hope that you are happy with whatever it is that you've settled in on. And I know that uh, for me, I'll continue with on with the Roots Magic. And I'm really looking forward to being able to synchronize with my ancestry tree. Now, there have been lots of new genealogy records, and these are always those open opportunities to break open a new area of your research that maybe has been stagnated. Uh, We love seeing new records come online. So I've got some great news for U.S. and Irish researchers because MyHeritage.com has added over 8.7 million Irish census records from 1901 and 1911 censuses to their website. Now, these censuses record every household member, and better yet, both collections are free to search on the website. And it's another fantastic development in Irish records access. I mean, do you remember when I announced last July that the National Library of Ireland had put its enormous collection of digitized parish records online for for free searching? I mean, that was amazing. The only caveat is that they were browse only. Well, find my past has just published an exclusive index to that collection. So if you've had your eye on it, this might be the way to go. With more than 10 million baptisms and marriages from a thousand parishes in both today's Northern Ireland and Irish Republic. And here in the US, other church records are coming online too. Uh, Recently, Ancestry.com added a new collection of Dutch Reformed church records. And that's quite a span, 1701 to 1995. They come from 14 states, and they updated an existing collection of Dutch Reform records as well. The Dutch Reform Church was the established church for Dutch settlers of the New Amsterdam in the 1600s. And a lot of Dutch families eventually settled in New York. And these church records are a fantastic place to look for them. Even better for U.S. researchers is an enormous new collection of marriage records from the, across the United States. And this has really been a big focus to find my past. Uh, they have been really big on their whole setup at Roots Tech was on marriage and the records that they're launching. The collection spans 360 years from 1650 to 2010. And according to find my past, about a, about a third of the data are already online. When the full 100 million records are finally up, you'll find that about 60% of them are new to online researchers. 
So this collection is not unlike the mega collection of U.S. wills and probate records that was published by Ancestry last year, in that both of these kinds of records, marriages and wills, are created on a county level. They can be difficult to track down if you're not sure where someone married or where they died, or if you're just wrong about where that was. That's why I love seeing these broader-based collections that are searchable coming online. And finally, MyHeritage has added audio interview upload. Just as he was boarding a plane for RootsTech, MyHeritage.com Chief Genealogical Officer Daniel Horowitz sent out an email about a new feature for the MyHeritage mobile app. It's audio recordings. Keeping track of oral history audio files and sharing them with relatives hasn't always been easy. And one way to do that is to use the audio recordings feature on the MyHeritage app. You can interview your relatives right from their profile in their family tree. And that's where you'll now find an audio icon that looks like earphones. You just tap it to create a new recording or to access the recordings that you've already saved. You can listen to your recording anytime. You can download it to your computer, uh, which you would definitely want to do to store it as your master file and share it with anyone who is a member of your family website on MyHeritage. So this is a pretty cool feature. And we will have links to this and to everything else that we talked about in the show notes. And of course, we always appreciate when you use the links from our show notes to get you over to all of these great genealogy companies. All right, well, that's it for the genealogy news for now. And uh, coming up next, we're going to talk to you at the mailbox. From my old hometown One with some jokes From my old pal Jim Brown Bring me a letter From that girl of mine Saying that she's longing for me All the time Bring me a letter From my proud old dad we are winning, and I bet he's glad of more than any other a line from my old mother. Bring me a letter from my hometown. I've got a couple of emails today with some inspiring success stories. I love when you guys share these. Uh, The first one comes from Kathy. And she says, Hello, Lisa, I thought I really must write and tell you how you've helped me clear up a long standing family mystery. My father was born on his grandfather's birthday, but his grandfather had died four years before my father was born. So he never knew him. The family story handed down was simply that the grandfather had been found drowned in a pond uh, shortly before Christmas of 1909, a terrible tragedy. When I started tracing my family, I ordered the grandfather's death certificate, and this was in 1988. It wasn't very helpful. The coroner's inquest was held on Christmas Eve, and the death certificate just said insufficient evidence to state cause of death. Since then, I've searched for coroner's records with no success. Well, then Kathy says that she saw my blog about Googling for coroner's records to solve mysterious deaths. And she says after reading it, quote, I thought I'd give it another go and follow your system for using Google. Well, I still haven't found the coroner's records, but I did find a couple of newspaper articles. And apparently, the body was indeed found on the 21st of December, but he had been missing since June, unquote. Kathy included two versions of a newspaper report of the discovery of her grandfather's body. From these, it appears he was fond of taking long walks, and his body was found under a log in a pond, and it was theorized he may have tried to cross the log, slipped, and drowned. 
What an amazing find. I am so glad that Kathy, that you wrote in and told us your story. Uh, It just shows that it never hurts to take that extra step to head over to Google and see what you can um, pull out from across the web. And in this case, you know, your Kathy's Google searches didn't produce the coroner's report itself, but it did give her some answers that she was looking for. And Trisha has been doing the happy dance lately. Trisha's written in a couple of times to ask for help finding the names of her gra- of her grandfather's parents. And she wrote me this happy dance email. Okay, so quote, I wanted to touch base with you about my grandfather's parents' names. I found them. And I think there's five exclamation points there. She's pretty excited. Um, After your advice and the newsletter, I continued to look in various places. And then I remembered that he worked for the railroad, but didn't know which one. Then I found there is a railroad retirement commission in Chicago that has information on all the different railroad systems. So I contacted the railroad retirement commission in Chicago to see if they still had any records from the 1930s and 1940s. They replied, and they said that those records do still exist, but they have been sent to the Atlanta National Archives. So he gave me the contact information, so so I emailed my grandfather's information to see if they could find his file. And they were able to find his file that was 385 pages long from 1967 to 1964. Unfortunately, getting the entire file isn't in my budget right now. It's $325 but they were able to go through the file and copy 25 pages of what they thought had the most genealogical information for about $20. Good thinking. She says, I received that yesterday and I did the happy dance with my son when he handed me the mail. It took about two weeks from when I contacted the Railroad Retirement Commission until I received the partial file from the archives today. One of the documents was his original pension application that he documented his parents' names on, as well as a handwritten letter from my grandmother to the disability department regarding an on-the-job injury that happened and the doctor visits my grandfather had to have during his recovery. Can you imagine a handwritten letter in there? And I learned that my grandmother's first marriage that ended in divorce was filed in California in 1938. And that's why the Jackson County... Missouri clerk couldn't find the records. I'm very eager to go through the entire file, hoping for more genealogy gems. Thanks so much for helping me get this information. You have made me start thinking outside the box for additional research ideas. This has truly been more appreciated than you will ever know. End quote. Well, Trisha's your success is so inspiring to all of us. I mean, Yes, I share ideas and strategies here, and they certainly have worked for me, but it's so rewarding to hear that they're working for you. And that is so exciting, and that you're sharing it back. You're just revving us all up. We're all ready to go. And and I tell you, when I got your email, I was really particularly personally excited because my grandfather and my great-grandfather both worked for the railroad for years. And I have lots of good information to start with. I think I would have a pretty easy time helping them um, access those files and get them back to me. So now I've got that on my list. See, the list just goes around and around a big circle. That's okay. It works beautifully. Thank you so much. And it's such an encouragement to me. And I know that many people uh, who have ancestors who particularly were involved in, in service on the railroad I told you, you guys were going to love these two inspiring stories from people who are doing something that I can't do for you here on this show. I can give you ideas and strategies and outside the box thinking and enthusiasm, but I can't do the doing for you. And that's what makes Kathy and Trisha happy dancers. They do the doing. Isn't that the key? So um, I hope that you are inspired today after today's mailbox to get out there and do more of the doing. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad Who knows that we are winning And I'll bet he's glad For more than any other A line from my old mother from my hometown.
You know, I always advise people to keep their master family trees at home on their own computers, not online. The family tree software I recommend is Roots Magic, and I'm pleased to announce that Roots Magic 7 is out and it's better than ever. Now, what do I love most about this new update? It's got to be the automatic hinting feature. It's like Google Alerts for genealogy websites. RootsMagic now automatically searches sites like FamilySearch and MyHeritage for possible matches to your tree. You're going to see light bulb hints appear whenever a match is found. Clicking the light bulb will open a web browser with matching records. They've got new accounts that let you easily publish and maintain multiple trees online, whether publicly or privately. And data management is easy with the new data clean feature that helps you quickly find and fix possible problems with names and places. Or use the file compare feature to look at two different trees side by side and transfer information between them. These are just some of the dozens of new enhancements. You can give it a try right away with no risk with the free edition called Roots Magic 7 Essentials. So what are you waiting for? Go to rootsmagic.com. You'll see pretty quickly why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic. Just a couple of weeks ago, PC World Mac World Online magazines ran an article on Backblaze's cloud-based computer backup service, which I use and I love here at Genealogy Gems. The writer, senior editor Brad Kakos, reminded readers that, quote, when it comes to backing up your precious data, investing in an online backup service is one of the smartest things you can do, end quote. And then he went on to talk about a new feature of Backblaze that he loves, An ongoing challenge of cloud-based backup is that we've all got tons of digital stuff these days on our hard drives, right? And if you ever do need to restore your hard drive, it's not so easy to download all of that stuff via the internet. The solution has generally been to ship an entire hard drive to a customer, but that can cost $100 or more on top of the regular backup services that you're paying. That's not so fun for the customer who's already kind of stressed out about losing their data. Well, Backblaze got two thumbs up for its brand new solution, the Restore Return Refund Program. It refunds the cost of those hard drives that they send you when you return them within 30 days after restoring your data. It's a $99 refund for USB flash drives and $189 for USB hard drives. So it's essentially making this a free service. Kekos says that other leading cloud-based computer backup services either won't ship hard drives at all, or they continue to charge large fees for it. And I noticed that other online magazines like The Next, Web, and Verge said essentially the same thing. This new program is just one more reason I am so glad that I chose Backblaze to take care of the enormous amounts of video audio, and other data that I create here at Genealogy Gems and in my own research. It just makes sense. And at just about $5 a month, Backblaze is so affordable. And the service it provides is so crucial that I can't see backing up my computers any other way. They're a sponsor, of course, of Genealogy Gems podcast because I've checked them out thoroughly myself, done my own homework, and I can absolutely recommend them. So go to backblaze.com slash Lisa to learn more. That's backblaze.com slash Lisa. One of the advantages of me getting to travel around and speak to genealogical groups and seminars and conferences is I get to see the behind the scenes, the local libraries and and collections, which are always wonderful. Tell us your name and your title and what you're doing here. My name is Cindy Cochran. I'm a retired librarian from the Lincoln Public Libraries, and I'm a volunteer. I'm the library chair for the Lincoln-Lancaster County Genealogical Society, and I have been the chair for about five years now, and I'm working strictly as a volunteer. (laughs) Wonderful. 
My name is Sabrina Riley, and I'm library director here at Union College in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've been here about 12 years. I was originally from um, Michigan, the southwest part of Michigan, and so that still kind of feels like home for me. I have a lot of family back there. Yeah. When did you become a Cornhusker? Uh, never. Are you? <laughs> I'm a Wolverine. <laughs> Bill says you got to know there's Cornhuskers there, and there's a, I have no clue about any. I, I don't really so. either. My husband's okay. a football player. Good deal. Sabrina would love to talk to you a little bit about how the genealogy collection here developed and the partnership that it has here with the college. Well, that really predates both Cindy and me with volunteers who were here um, before and library staff who were here previously who have since retired. Um, my predecessor here at Union College, Chloe Fouts, was probably more than an avid genealogist herself. I don't even know what word would be stronger. <laughs> she was probably more passionate about genealogy than she was about running an academic library. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's also responsible for the heritage room that we're sitting in here. So she was very involved in, we shortened the name to LLCGS because that's such a mouthful to say the whole name. Uh, so she was a member of that. Did she help found it? Probably. Pro- probably there. She was probably there from day one. And so when the genealogy library, which was originally in someone's basement, needed a larger, more accessible location, she worked with the college administration to make that happen here. Wow. She was already, her entire career was in this place. Um, she was not always library director. She was reference librarian before that, but she also was kind of the college archivist and historian, along with our history teacher, Dr. Dick, whose name comes up all the time with Union College history. And they had already been working for years, literally collecting the material that's in our heritage room here, which documents not only the history of the college, but also of the town of College View. And so our local community history is already completely integrated with the college's history, and they were already very involved in that. And so the interest in genealogy was just an outgrowth of that, I think. Yeah, because while we're here in the college and and, um, we've gone through and looked at the volumes on the shelves, in this room, we're really surrounded by a lot of antiques. Well, you're in the public reading room, um, and the setup is a little bit of a museum, um, mostly a permanent display because I have no time to change it very often. (laughs) But you're only seeing half of our facility. Down the hallway here is our closed stacks area, which is where our collections really are. And we have a very significant collection of material related to the history of the college, the college community, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church with which we're affiliated. So we get genealogists coming here not some of them don't even know about LLCGS because they're coming from because of the Seventh-day Adventist Church connection. And so they're mm-hmm. asking about our alumni, about former teachers, people who lived in the College View community here. Um, so even if LLCGS wasn't here, we'd be doing quite a bit of genealogy. <laughs> <laughs> so when the um, person walks in off the street and has the genealogy uh, question, mm-hmm. um, who do they get pointed to first? Well, we do a little interviewing with them to find out where their family is, what the connections are, if it's just a connection to Nebraska or if it's a connection to the Adventist Church, and then that kind of directs. And sometimes they go back and forth. Yes. And I Mm -hmm. imagine also it may just be somebody in the community who has no connection to either, just says, I just heard you have genealogy books. And, um, Cindy, that brings me to the the tour that you gave me of your stacks, over 8,000 volumes. And um, I was, uh, you you saw me, I kept bending over, I was listening, but I was really looking for Huntingtonshire on the shelf because that's where my husband's family is from in England. And you have a wonderful English collection. And I think particularly for new genealogists or just people who haven't yet had the opportunity to kind of hit the road, they've been doing it from home. Um, I, I really want them to understand and maybe hear from you a little bit about how the facility itself, wherever the archive is, isn't always um, representative of what's on the shelf itself and that there are gems everywhere in Nebraska and anywhere else and um, how they can take advantage of that. Well, uh, one of the things as a genealogist who has been doing it for quite a while, I really do encourage people not to use only online sources. There are so many things in books and 
papers and documents that have not been scanned, have Mm -hmm. not been put online. And if you don't tap into that, you're going to be missing a substantial portion of your research. So that's basically why we still have libraries and places like this Heritage Room and our collection, because we have resources that you're never going to find by searching on Google. So, And I, you mentioned, you know, the Historical Society. I mean, everybody goes through different gyrations through their existence where first they have shelves, then they don't have shelves, then their focus changes. And as you mentioned with the Historical Society, their, um, their kind of mission statement sort of changed. And that meant that there were a large number of books coming your way. So correct. it's not necessarily ones that you sought out. They came to you. Yes. We received a gift um, back in, I think it was around 1994, way before I started working with this collection, from the Nebraska State Historical Society. They changed their mission, and they gave the Genealogical Society, I'm not sure the exact count, probably around 3,000 volumes, plus magazines, Um, And those were incorporated into the genealogy collection. We have a wonderful selection of English materials that apparently were collected by donors. They donated them to the Historical Society, but before that, they must have been very avid collectors of English. Some beautiful books. Yes, some leather-bound, really pretty items. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're useful, too, because they cover a lot of... English genealogy. So that type of material. We also have original marriage books from Lancaster County. We have copies of the naturalization records. A lot of these things were microfilmed, but they are not digitized, so you do not find them online. Mm -hmm. And we can provide a scan or a photocopy of that original document for a fee. We also have early probate records from Lancaster County. Those are very useful for people if they want to find other members of the family or they want to find out what the deceased person left in the way of an inheritance or things like that. Mm -hmm. So lots of good information. Oh, I know you were showing me the uh, the probate records, the big folded no- uh, notebooks of, of papers and clippings, and it's just, um, you just want to kind of get in there and look at them all, and I know you have a whole room full of them. And Sabrina, I'm sitting here talking to Cindy, and I see behind her this big, old, beautiful trunk as she talks about passenger okay. lists and naturalizations. <laughs> and um, Where did some of these things come from, and what happens when somebody walks in the door and says... Uh, do you have room for this? And, you know, what's your criteria? What are you focused on here? Well, our mission statement for our heritage room here um, kind of provides our focus um, in a kind of an order of priority. So college history is our number one priority, our local college view community history, and our denominational history. Um, but we have other repositories for the Seventh-day Adventist Church that focus on the denomination-wide history, so we're much more of a regional uh, repository um, focused on our local community as well as um, the Mid-America Union territory of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which includes um, Minnesota, Iowa, North and South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, um, Wyoming, and Colorado. And wow. so we're collecting information on people who were members of the church or workers for the church. Um, There were many schools, hospitals, as well as local congregations um, and other church entities in that territory. And so anything that is related to those, I will say automatically, yes, I want it. Um, Outside of that territory, I'm a little more selective and looking at materials that I know will be of interest to my students and faculty. And if we have visiting researchers coming in, they know that they're coming here because they're interested in something from this region or connected to one of the institutions or organizations here. Um, if they're looking outside of our region, there's other repositories that we'll either refer them to or they may already know about. Um, so everything in this room is really connected to the college or to the town of College View. 
and both of them were founded simultaneously in 1890-1891. The first day of school here was September 25, 1891. They chose this location in January of 1890, and there was no town here. It was farm fields. Um, I think the May farmhouse is still here, and that's probably the only structure that I know of that predates um, the college or the town. Lincoln was five miles away. Mm-hmm. Now, there were boosters in the city of Lincoln who very much wanted the evidence to choose this location because Des Moines was the competition. Right. And uh, so they made it very attractive with land for the college, not just land for the college. There was excess land given to the Adventists who acted as land agents then and sold lots for the town. And actually, when all of those were sold, we had a very active business manager managing that who then bought up some other local land that he then sold. <laughs> so, you know, for the first, and I don't know exactly how many years, but the first 15, 20 years, it was primarily an Adventist community. Mm-hmm. People moved here to work at the college to help build it because they wanted their children to be here. But by 1929, the city of Lincoln had grown and swallowed up the town of College View. And um, College View became part of the city of Lincoln. Our street names, for the most part, especially the um, north-south streets, were all renamed to match Lincoln's naming convention. Okay. Which makes it really interesting when we're helping people identify photos and um, properties and addresses where their ancestors may have lived here. Um, those those dates are really important, and the city directories are really valuable because about 1930 or 31 is when the buildings were renumbered okay. and everything. And so we can help date pictures before and after that date. Um, I've even had some pictures where we could blow them up and see the number on it, and it was the old numbering system. So we could say, okay, that was before 1930. Yeah, <laughs> so and that's that key, really isn't it? That is what why it's so important to pick up the phone sometimes and talk to the people in the location who know. Because even as we're looking at things online, uh, if we're fortunate to find something, it doesn't always tell us those little tidbits. Mm -hmm. And Cindy, you were showing me the city directories, which always grabbed my attention as we were going down the aisle. Um, So to wrap it up, I would love to hear from each of you. What's your favorite jewel in this collection? What is it that you, that boy, when somebody wants to look at something. Now, I know that the best genealogy record is the one that has your ancestor in it, right? So <laughs> if we get beyond that, is there just something that's, that catches your eye? You know, when you when you walk down the stacks, you always go, oh, yep, there's that book, there's that collection. Yeah, how about you, Cindy? Okay. Uh, one of the things that I have loved using is the 1903 Atlas of Lancaster County. It has all the little farmsteads, with a little black box painted in on that map. <laughs> yeah. And we have helped people find the old farmsteads, that type of thing. That is really a lot of fun to use. Now, that one actually happens to be digitized, and you can find a copy of <laughs> it on uh, the Library of Congress website. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's helpful. But just actually looking at the old volume, it's quite large and heavy. And that's just a, a real fun resource to use. They also have one from 1921 that is very helpful as well. Well, I know uh, all my listeners will know that I would love that as well just because I'm always teaching about go- using Google Earth for genealogy and, and incorporating the old maps. It all comes together, the new and the old. How about yeah. you, Sabrina? Well, I'm kind of in the same boat with Cindy here that my favorite one is going to be digitized now. <laughs> well, good. These Our listeners can find them. But I'll tell you why. And it's our student newspaper, oh. which the current issues sometimes are less than a newspaper. Um, but the old issues, the current clock towers, what we call the, the newspaper, it's called the clock tower, started in January 1927, and it's continuing. But in the old days, it was truly a newspaper, and it was a student-run publication, and it wasn't mm-hmm. just about Union College campus, but it was kind of a newspaper for a town. Now, College View had its own newspaper at times, and that's not been digitized yet. But there's all kinds of interesting tidbits in that student newspaper. And our old copies were so brittle and falling apart that we had to tell people you can't use them anymore. Mm. We did a huge fundraising project with our alumni. This was a very popular project, and we were able to digitize that so that it's now available for the public free on our website Wonderful. Um, up through April 2010. 
And um, I'm really proud to say that we can, now can provide the very first issue because the first page of the very first issue, we had three different copies and they were all ripped. Oh, wow. But they were ripped and missing different sections. And <gasps> with the digitization project, we were able to make a composite. And now with the digital edition, have a full copy of that first page. So that's it. It's the coming together of the new technology and, as mm-hmm. you said, the old books and the papers and the things that we all covet. And that really it's a marriage. It's never going to be only one or the other. It's always mm-hmm. the combination. And, and certainly the college here is a great example of that. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing your collection with me and um, sharing it with our audience. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're welcome. point in the past, many, if not most, of our relatives spoke a different language than we do today. And that means that records about their lives were created in other languages, too, like church records in Latin, for example. Well, these language barriers can become huge brick walls in our genealogy research. We don't know how to translate ancestors' names, or we can't read the language that the record is written in. Well, MyHeritage.com has just launched a new technology. It's called Global Name Transition to address this problem. Now you can search for historical records at MyHeritage in one language and receive relevant results from other languages automatically translated for you. So let's say you're searching for the name Alex. The system will search for variations like Alessandro and Alejandro and Aleski and even Sasha, which is a popular Russian nickname for Alexander. This technology is also integrated into MyHeritage matching technologies, so subscribers will begin receiving transliterated matches from other languages. The initial release of MyHeritage's global name translation works with English and most major European and Romance languages. They're working on Chinese, Japanese, and more. That they can do this not just across languages, but also across diverse alphabets is mind-boggling. But I'm not surprised this is coming from MyHeritage. After all, one of their strengths that I love is their worldwide focus. Their platform serves over 40 languages, and their historical records and trees are arguably the most diverse available in the genealogy world. That's one reason that we are so proud that MyHeritage is a sponsor of the Genealogy Gems podcast, because our listeners and readers like you live all over the world and certainly have roots from all over the world. I know I do. Head to MyHeritage.com and get started today for free. That's MyHeritage.com. It's Sunny Morton with the Genealogy Gems Book Club segment. Thanks so much to those of you who visited us during the Book Club Open House at Roots Tech 2016. It was so fun to talk about favorite books with several of you who stopped by. So those who came by at the Open House, we invited to share their favorite book suggestions for book club readers, and I thought I would pass on some of them to you. You don't need to write these titles down or anything. I'll give you the list in the show notes for this episode. So Holly, who works in a library, suggested The Story We Carry in Our Bones, Irish History for Americans by Julianne Osborne McKnight. Alexa stopped by and suggested Finding Samuel Lowe, China, Jamaica, Harlem. It's a memoir by Paula Williams Madison about the author's journey into her family history, which resulted in a documentary by the same name. Paula was a keynoter at Roots Tech this year. Joyce came by and suggested two different books, The Forgotten Garden, a novel by the international best-selling author Kate Morton about a woman who learns a shocking secret about her own past and has to come to terms with it. It's a story that was actually inspired by Kate's own family history. Joyce also suggested The Last Midwife, a novel 
by Sandra Dallas, the story of a midwife in 19th century Denver, Colorado, in the Rocky Mountain frontier. So Alexis, who suggested finding Samuel Lowe, also won our open house door prize, a year's Genealogy Gems premium website membership. That means Alexis will be able to enjoy the full exclusive conversations we have with our book club authors. Next month, that means Tara Austin Weaver talking about Orchard House, how a neglected garden taught one family to grow. I hope you've gotten a chance to crack open Orchard House and savor Tara's beautiful descriptions of food and family, of the kinds of planting and nurturing and harvesting we do with our families, just like we do with our gardens. Next month, you'll get a snippet of my conversation with Tara on this free podcast, and premium members, like Alexis, will be able to hear the entire interview with Tara on the premium podcast. Recently, NPR published an article entitled, DNA, Genealogy, and the Search for Who We Are. This sounds exactly like the kind of article that I would want to read, considering that I am, after all, your DNA guide. However, after only the first two sentences of this article, I stopped reading. I could already tell this was one of those articles. You know, the kind meant to sensationalize and not to communicate accurate information. I close the browser page. I just don't have time to read information that's meant to incite and not to inform. But then I read some comments from, from some friends that had read it, and then Lisa asked me to review it for you, so I read it in its entirety. It was difficult to get through, though, even though it wasn't very long. There are just so many things that are wrong with the presentation of this material. Let's take three big ones. First of all, the facts are taken out of context. Yes, it's true. Your genetic pedigree is not the same as your genealogical pedigree. Your genetic pedigree can only contain a finite amount of information, while your paper pedigree can contain limitless amounts. In general, our personal set of genetics will only connect us to half of our fourth cousins. And it is true that if we go back far enough, we will have zero DNA from some of our ancestors. The author implies that this kind of incomplete information is unacceptable and should be discarded. What he is missing is that by genetically connecting me to my fourth cousin, that fourth cousin is genetically connected to another fourth cousin who I might not share DNA with, but through the testing and the genealogical research, I can confidently identify as kin. One of the powers of DNA is that it allows you to create networks with living people who can work together to verify and expand our knowledge of our ancestors. Secondly, this author claims that DNA testing and traditional research are mutually exclusive. He claims, quote, family and family history are one thing and DNA-based ancestry is another, end quote. I don't think I even need to comment on that. That's just wrong. Genetic genealogy is just one more tool in our toolbox to help us answer family history questions. Before I go on, I think we do need a little perspective on where this author is coming from. As U.S. citizens, many of us have enjoyed the rapid growth and general acceptance of the genetic genealogy industry. The author of this article gained much of his content from sources in the U.K. Unfortunately, the U.K. has seen a stream of less than reputable companies hawking genetic genealogy-like products that are frankly a scam. So from that perspective, caution when entering a genetic genealogy experience should be exercised. That background knowledge, provided by my colleague Debbie Kennett in the UK, made me feel a little sheepish about my initial hostile reaction to this article. But then I read again where the author states, quote, it is family that matters, and family is relationship, not DNA, end quote. And I'm back on my soapbox. Perhaps this author did not pay attention in seventh grade biology. DNA is family. <laughs> That's how this works. I've heard so many stories from so many of you reporting how it was this very DNA stuff that led you to a discovery about your family. Just yesterday, I received an email from a woman who recently reconnected with a relative she found through DNA testing. She said, quote, spent a week with Carolyn and her husband out in Colorado this fall, and the time spent together is beyond words. It is as if we had known each other our whole lives. But then again, on a different level, I'm sure we have known each other, end quote. 
To me, that is a story worth telling, a story that's every bit as real as one that's discovered using only paper research methods. DNA deserves a spot in your family history research. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Profile America, Thursday, February 18th. Although Canada has been self-governing since 1867, it wasn't until this date in 1927 that the U.S. established formal diplomatic relations through recognition of a Canadian ambassador in Washington. Until that date, the Dominion of Canada's foreign relations remained under the control of London. The relations since have been sterling, as Canada is our greatest trading partner. In 2014, more than $660 billion of goods passed one way or the other across the effectively undefended border. There are about 6.8 million foreign-born residents out of Canada's population of nearly 36 million. America's population of nearly 319 million includes over 42 million foreign-born residents, with about 806,000 from Canada. Profile America is in its 19th year as a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Hello, I am going to read my Where I'm From poem. Where is Janice from? I am from constantly moving freeways, from slow country roads, from skyscrapers and apartment buildings, from small churches and family homes. I am from too many homes to remember, from the city and the suburbs and the country, from Southern California and Sydney and Florida, from behind the sausage factory and from the trailer park, from trees and trellises and bookshelves to climb, from swimming pools and bayous to swim in. I am from sagebrush and oleander, from honeysuckle and raspberry bushes, from manicured lawns and rose bushes, from kudzu and live oaks, from dogs and cats and dribbles as pets, from cottonmouths and ground-dwelling hornets to avoid. I am from Sellers and Meckler and Gaunt and Brainian, from Armstrong and Dunstan and Novitsky and Gordon, from Lippincott and Wynn and Yelsky and Bloom, from tall and short and thin and fat, from misers and spendthrifts, frugal and gamblers, from cheerful and dour and friendly and aloof. I am from college and books, from mechanics and taxi drivers, from bookkeepers and cashiers, from dressmakers and farmers, from you can do anything you want to do, to why aren't you married and where is my granddaughter. I am from Lancashire and Baden, from Grodno and Podolsky, from Cornwall and Corland and maybe border reavers but not from John of Gaunt or Peter Sellers. I am from La Puente and Pagewood, from Niceville and Villatasso, from Los Angeles and Berkeley and Oakland. I am from California, from New Jersey, from New York, from delis and Chile, from Takeout Chinese and Ham for Easter. I am from Jews and Catholics, from Hanukkah and Christmas, from Quakers and Dunkers, from Lutherans and Separatists. From a fervent Quaker, witnessing from her knees, from a cremated Jew who attended Midnight Mass. I'm from the Mayflower, from 20th century immigration, from the Depression, and from the Holocaust. From the freewheeling West Coast, the intellectual East Coast, and a little bit of hit from the South. I am from photographs and jewelry and yarmulkes and silverware. From dishes and menorahs and crocheted cups, saved and treasured from family names remembered through the years and reborn in the lives of descendants. Well, it's all time to wrap things up here today. I, I feel that there's still so much more to talk about. So many stories to tell, tips to share, uh, record types to talk about, discoveries to celebrate. You can only imagine how challenging it is to pick and choose what we're going to cover in any particular episode. I'm glad that we have this ongoing conversation with the Genealogy Gems podcast every month and even more in the premium podcast for you premium website members. Because otherwise, I'd sign off each month feeling like there just wasn't enough time to talk about everything. And that's how it kind of felt at Roots Tech this year, where I met so many of you and taught so many presentations, answered so many questions. But there was still so much we didn't get to cover. So many of you I didn't get to see. And I'm happy to know that there'll be more conferences to come more emails from you, more opportunities to keep chatting about this passion that we share for discovering and understanding and, and sharing our family history. So in the meantime, 
keep forging ahead on your research or your writing or time with your relatives, whatever part of connecting with family and family history that's most important to you right now. Until next time. Thanks for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.